Welcome or welcome back to the Northwood Podcast. This is Tommy, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've chosen to take a few moments to listen to this podcast today. Do me a favor, at the end of this podcast, take a moment to subscribe. That way you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. And check out our website, northwoodbaptist.com, and learn about all that's taking place in the life of our church. I hope this message blesses you, and I hope it helps you to connect faith to life. Written by the half-brother of Jesus, James chapter 3, 13 through 18. That's where we're going to be this morning, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. If you're new to the Bible, James isn't too hard to find. Just go to the end of your Bible. Go to the very last book, Revelation, and then start to go backwards, and you'll find yourself in James before you know it. It's just several books back from Revelation. That's where we'll spend our time together this morning, James chapter 3, uh, verses 13 through 18. We'll read that together in just a moment. So, so I was uh, on... Uh, looking at some news sites this past week, and I came across this article uh, that, that showed this picture. And maybe you've seen this. I don't know if you saw this or not, but, but this is tracking all of the great white sharks that are around our coastal area. It's encouraging, right? And so, so right apparently off the coast of South Carolina, the Carolinas, uh, there, there are, are six or seven you know, really large great white sharks. And, and so, so uh, I don't know if you know much about great white sharks. I don't. I, I know from what I read. They can uh, grow to a length of about 15 feet, and they can weigh up to 4,000 pounds. That's big, right? It's a big fish. And so we have these bad boys just kind of sitting off our coast. And, and so undoubtedly, if you go to Folly Beach and you see a big fin in the water, you're probably going to get out of the water. That'd be the wise thing to do, because when you think about a great white shark, you think about uh, what a great white shark can do, that he can obviously eat you, and you don't want to get eaten, right? So so here you are, and, and I know all of us in this room, we are convinced that if we were to come up against a great white shark, it probably would not end well for us. But let me tell you what you should fear. Cows. Do you know that? Because let me tell you why. Did you know that on average per year, people, about five people per year, die at the hands of a shark? But at the hands of cows, about 20 people die a year. Did you know that? So cows kill more people than great white sharks. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. That the next time you go to the beach and you see that fin sticking out of the water, even though now you have the knowledge that great white sharks only kill about five people a year, you're going to get out of the water, right? And the next time you go down to the farm and you see that pretty cow, you're going to pet it because you're not convinced, are you? You're not convinced that you are going to die a death at the hands of a cow, right? You might have that knowledge now because I told you the truth. Cows can kill you, but that's probably not going to change the way you approach a cow the next time you're down on the farm, if you ever go back to a farm, right? All that to say, I'm wondering this morning if you are convinced, if you are convinced that God's word is true. And I'm wondering this morning if you are convinced that what God says is best for your life. And I'm wondering if you're convinced this morning that true wisdom, ultimate wisdom, comes from living a life that is consistent with what God says in his word. 
we're looking at a, a passage this morning that is so straightforward. James gets right to the point. In, in fact, I, I probably don't even have to spend 35 minutes talking about it, but, but I am. Uh, so this passage is so straightforward as to how we are to live our lives out in godly wisdom. This is so clear what James is saying this morning. And, and in this passage we're looking at, what James is going to do is very simple. He's going to contrast two types of wisdom. On the one hand, James is going to tell us, he's going to challenge us to reject the wisdom of this world. And on the other hand, James is going to challenge us to embrace the wisdom of the word, to embrace the wisdom of God. And what James is trying to do in this passage is convince us that that your life will go best when you live according to the wisdom of the word. So it's so simple this morning. On the one hand, James is challenging us to reject the wisdom of the world. And on the other hand, he's challenging us to embrace the wisdom of the word. And so let's look at what James says this morning and let's see how we can embrace the wisdom of the word. James 3 verses 13 through 18. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the ring of God's word this morning. James 3 verses 13 through 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity to be here today uh, to study your, your word together. And Father, we, we confess this morning that we are people who need to be convinced, need to be, be convinced that your way is the right way, that you are the source of true wisdom. And we need to be taught this morning how to live our lives in a way that, that show godly wisdom. And so we're trusting now in these moments that you're going to speak to us. Father, I thank you for this day and, and for this Father's Day. Uh, and I thank you for men in this room who are striving to walk by wisdom. And so I pray, especially for those of us who are dads, we, we want our kids and our grandkids to see wisdom model before them, the wisdom of God. And so help us be men of wisdom, men of integrity, men of compassion. Father, we're trusting now that in these moments you are speaking to us as you speak to us. Help us to listen carefully to what you're saying and help us to be obedient to your word. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can have a seat. And so, so James starts this passage by asking the question, right? Who is wise among you? And that's a legitimate question because as we think back now through what James has already written in this letter, uh, it seems as if, does it not, uh, that these believers that he was writing to, that they were lacking in wisdom, right? In the very first chapter, James gives them instructions on, on how to look at the trials of life with wisdom. 
In James chapter 2, he talked about discrimination and partiality. I mean, it's not wise to show partiality. It's not wise to show favoritism. He's talked about wealth, right? And how, and he's going to continue to talk about this idea, how it's not wise to pursue the wealth of this world, right? He, he's talked about the way that we use our words. And, and he, he, he tells us that our words are, are, are powerful and influential. And with our words, we cause much havoc. And so as James writes to these early believers, I think he's asking, asking the question, who's wise among you? Because there's all kinds of issues in your church. You're, you're showing favoritism and partiality. You're pursuing wealth instead of God. You're, you're using your tongue to destroy people. You need some wisdom. And so James writes this letter, and we've said before that really if you think about it, James is the Proverbs of the New Testament. James writes this letter to give us godly wisdom, to, to tell us how we should live our lives consistently with the will of God. And so so I don't know what you think about when you think about that word wisdom, but I'll tell you what culture thinks about. When you hear that word wisdom, you might define wisdom something like this. Wisdom is the ability to make choices that set you up for success, that set you up for comfort, that set you up for a peaceful life, that set you up for happiness, right? I mean, in, in this room, you think about people that you admire, think about people that you look up to, think about people that you consider wise. People that we typically consider to be wise people are those people who've accomplished something in life. You think about somebody like Bill Gates, for example, right? The founder of Microsoft, a quadrillionaire, right? And he's got all kinds of money. And wouldn't you like to sit down and have lunch with him and just pick his brain and hear about the wise choices that he has made over the course of his life to get where he's at today, you see? But, but what Scripture would tell us, what James would tell us, is that wisdom is not necessarily making all the right choices in life that lead to success. Because the fact of the matter is, you can be very successful, according to James. You can accomplish a lot. You can do a lot. People can look at you and say, man, that person must be wise because of what he has accomplished or what she has accomplished. But what James would say, wisdom isn't in what you accomplish. Wisdom isn't making right choices to set you up for success and, and wealth and happiness. No, no, what James would say is real wisdom, godly wisdom, is not evidenced in what you accomplished. It's evidenced in the way that you live your life day in and day out. What James says in these verses, real wisdom is seen in your conduct, meekness, right? An honor of God. And so, so what James is doing here in this passage is just very simple. He's contrasting two different types of wisdom. On the one hand, there's a wisdom of this world. And the wisdom of the world says something like this. Do whatever you need to do to make yourself successful. Make all the right choices you need to make to set yourself up for happiness and success and peace, even if it's at the expense of other people, right? And so I, I think just real simply, what this world tells us what the world says is wise is do what you have to do to get ahead because after all the only one in this life who's going to look out for you is you and so look out for you make sure you've done what you need to do to get ahead right and so the wisdom of this world says what that at the end of the day if you want to have a good life at the end of the day if you want to have success if you want to have happiness if at, at the end of the day if you want to be wise make yourself the point of everything 
Make yourself the center of the universe. Think about you before you think about anybody else. Think about what you've got to do to get ahead. Because after all, nobody else is going to think about you before anybody else. After all, nobody else is going to help you in this life. Do what you have to do to get ahead. That is wisdom, right? And let's just be honest. Intuitively, that's the way that we live. Intuitively, we've bought into the wisdom of this world. We've bought into the wisdom that says, do what you must do to get ahead in this life, right? Because you know it like I know it, that every one of us in this room, we have a tendency to think about us more than we think about anybody else. You think about you more than you think about even your spouse or your children. And you're constantly thinking about what do I need to do to have a peaceful, comfortable life. And, and the way you and I tend to approach our lives in the wisdom of the world is, is simply this way, right? I want to be blessed. I want to be served. I want to be given something good in this life, right? So, so in, in our neighborhood, we have, a, we have a pool. Maybe you live in a neighborhood that has a pool. And, and, um, and my kids, they love going to the pool. Like, that's their favorite thing to do is to go to the pool. I hate going to the pool. I mean, we grew up in, in our neighborhood with a pool in our own backyard. So when I was growing up, we just went out back, and we went to the pool, and it was great. But, but our neighborhood has 2,000 houses, right? And, and so on any given afternoon that you go to the pool, I know this because I've counted them, there are 43,000 people at the pool. Anytime you go, there's 43,000 people. And so just imagine, just imagine what it's like going to a pool with 43,000 of your closest friends, right? I mean, it's terrible. And you've seen my kids. I mean, they're, they're as wide as I am. And so we have to put a gallon of sunscreen on before we go. It takes about an hour and a half to get ready to go to the pool. And then once you're there, you can only be in the pool 80 minutes. You got to get out and reapply the sunscreen. It's just, it's just not fun, right? But my kids love going to the pool. And I know that this time of the year, inevitably... When, 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 when I come home in the afternoon or when I have a day off, the question they're going to ask is, Daddy, can we go to the pool? Daddy, can we go to the pool? Daddy, can we go to the pool, right? I don't want to go to the pool. What I want in the afternoon is to get home and have some peace and quiet, right? I, I want dinner to be on the table. I want things to be in order. I want my kids just to sit down and say, Daddy, we're going to give you an hour or two of just peace and quiet. We're going to leave you alone. I mean, that would be great, right? But that's not what happens, that when I come home, the question I'm going to be asked is, Daddy, can we go to the pool? And so what happens when I get in the car on my way home from the office to go home, I immediately start to pray, right? God, please send thunder and lightning. Close the pool down. In fact, last week, all that rain... That was me, right? That was me because, because I don't want to go to the pool. You see, at the end of the day, when I leave the office on an afternoon and I go home, I'm not thinking about what can I do to bless my family? What can I do to bless my kids? What can I do to serve them? When I leave the office, I'm just being honest with you. What I'm thinking about is can I get some peace and quiet when I get home? Because in my twisted, sinful nature, I still think, even as a Christian sometimes, that the world is supposed to revolve around me and my wants. And be honest with me. You know it's true about you too. That we've bought into this wisdom of the world that says, at the end of the day, life is supposed to be about me. And this is what James says. Look at what he says. He says, that kind of wisdom... Look at what it says in, in verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above. It's earthly, right? 
This kind of wisdom that, that says life is about me, right? This kind of wisdom that says I'm the point of life. This kind of wisdom, it, it doesn't have eternity in mind. It doesn't see the big picture. It just sees the here and now. It is earthly, but not only is it earthly, it is unspiritual. It's not led by the spirit. When I leave this place on a Monday afternoon and I'm just thinking about how I can get some peace and quiet when I get home, that's not being led by the spirit. That's being led by me and what I want right? It's earthly. It's unspiritual. And he goes on to say what? It is demonic. When you make yourself the center of the universe, when you make yourself the point, you are playing right into the hands of the enemy because the enemy wants you to think that you are the point. Because when you think that you are the point, you take your eyes off the one who is the point, God himself, right? And and notice what it says, right? That's what it says. Come back up. So, So James says that this kind of wisdom where you consider yourself the point is earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. But come back up to verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. Do not boast and be false to the truth. Look at what it says, because here's what I want you to see in the text, right? James is challenging us on the one hand to reject the wisdom of the world. And when you're following the wisdom of the world, this is what you can expect, right? You're characterized by bitter jealousy rather than a holy contentment. When you think that you're the point When you think that life revolves around you and you look at everybody else and it seems like everybody else's life is going better than yours, that everybody else's life seems a bit easier than yours, that everybody else seems to be getting what they want, but you're not, what happens? All of a sudden, instead of being content with what God has given you, you start to get a bit jealous. You start to look at others, right? Why do they have and I don't? I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm the point. I'm the center of the universe. I should be the one who's being blessed. I should be the one who's experiencing the success. I should be the one who's being served, right? When you see others blessed and you don't have it, if you think the world revolves around you, you're going to start getting very jealous instead of being content. And and you're going to see characterized of you this selfish ambition instead of a holy ambition. I'm going to do whatever I need to do to accomplish my will instead of I'm going to do whatever I have to do to accomplish the will of God, you see. This is what James is saying. And it's a very clear contrast. On the one hand, there's this wisdom of the world, a world that says to us, do what you have to do to get ahead. Because after all, you're the point. And if you don't look out for you, nobody else is going to look out for you. And that kind of thinking, it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it is demonic. And James says that when you live that way, your life is going to be characterized by selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. And it gets a little worse. Look what else he says. You come down... So the next couple of verses, he says in verse 16, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Because at the end of the day, when you think you're the point, when you and I think that life revolves around us, we don't care who we step on or who we hurt to get what we want. And when all of us live that way, when every one of us live with this attitude of life is about me, you can imagine the disorder, the chaos, and the vile things that we do to get our way. Because you've seen it. You've seen it in your family. 
You've seen family feuds because everyone in your family just wants his or her way. You've seen it in the life of the church. You've been a part of churches maybe in your past that, that had just tons of conflict, a church that maybe split or whatever the case may be because in that particular body of believers, everyone was trying to have their own way. What James is challenging us in this passage, is he's saying, just listen, reject it. Just know what you're dealing with. This is the wisdom of the world. And it is. It is earthly. It is unspiritual. It is demonic. But on the other hand, there's a different kind of wisdom. You don't have to live by the wisdom of the world. You don't have to live in this way that says, I'm the point and I better look out for me because after all, no one else is going to. There's a different way to live, a better way to live. Look what the passage says. On the one hand, we're challenged again to reject this worldly wisdom, but on the other hand, we're challenged to embrace the wisdom of the word. Look at what it says. Verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Notice what Jesus, or excuse me, notice what James does. On the one hand, James has shown us the wisdom of the world. But the wisdom of the word, godly wisdom, wisdom that doesn't come from below, but wisdom that comes from above, is pure. That's an interesting word, isn't it? When you think of that word pure, you, you think of clarity, the ability to see, you, you think of any wideness or whatever the case may be. When you think of something pure, you think of no blemish whatsoever, right? This is the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is pure in the sense that when you are walking in the wisdom of God, you know the truth, that you're not the point. The, the universe doesn't revolve around you. That life isn't about your will. You see, pure wisdom, it sees with clarity, right? It sees with purity. It sees the truth that life isn't about you. Life isn't about me. Life is about our creator, the one who made us in his image, the one who loved us so much that he gave his son Jesus for us, who died in our place and rose again. This is pure wisdom. Pure wisdom, godly wisdom, is knowing the truth about God, that he is the one that is the center of everything. Not only is he the one that is the center of everything, he is the one who right now, at this very moment, as you and I breathe in and breathe out, he is holding all things together. He is the point, not you. That's pure wisdom. Knowing that you're not the point of life, but the one who gave his life for you, Jesus Christ is. And when you begin to understand that, it frees you up, doesn't it? When you understand that you're not the point, it frees you because now all of a sudden you don't have to live for you. You can live for the one who saved you. You can live for the one who died and rose again for you. And you can live out his mission to be a blessing to others, right? Not living to be blessed, but living to bless. This is pure wisdom. And pure wisdom, it manifests itself in several ways, right? It's peaceable. You know what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount? Blessed are the peacemakers, and, and you like me, you like this. You like to be around people who make peace. 
People who make peace do what? They put aside their desires for the sake of the relationship. People who, who, who are peacemakers, they want things. But what they want more is to be in right relationships with other people. They don't want to step on people to get their way. Right? And aren't you thankful for the great peacemaker, Jesus, who, who when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, knowing that his death on the cross was coming, he said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup from me. I don't want to die in this way. But more than I want my will to not die in this way, I want peace. Peace between the God of all creation and his people. So not my will, but your will be done. And aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection, made peace with you? You see, real wisdom is pure. It knows that God is at the center and, and that, that, that purity expresses itself in, in peacemaking, right? It's not only peaceable, it's, it's gentle. And aren't you thankful that Jesus was gentle with you? Think about the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. And everyone, those religious leaders in John chapter 8, they were ready to stone her to death. But Jesus looked at her after dismissing those religious leaders and said to her, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. You see, 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 real wisdom is, is peaceable, but real wisdom is also gentle, right? And I know that, that gentleness isn't something we talk about a lot because in our American culture, we, we like to be tough and, and, and to the point and put on a, a rough exterior. But gentleness, it's a fruit of the Spirit, right? And, 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 and I think all we're talking about when we say gentleness, what we mean by that is handling people with care because you know it. It's just the way we live in this world. People are fragile. People are broken. People need hope. But that person who is exhibiting godly wisdom is gentle. You handle people with care. Because you know that you're not the point. You don't have to cast judgment. Because you know that you're not the point. You don't have to look down on people. Because you know you're not the point. You don't have to step on people. Because you know that you're not the point of life. You can instead be gentle. You can handle people with care, right? Think about this. Open to reason. Now, now you might have a hard time believing this. But you don't have to always prove you're right. You just don't. Several years ago, it's been about 10 years ago now, we were um, living in North Augusta, and, and we were living in a, in a condo at that time, and, and, and we could see walking around the, the, the complex, you know, the Jehovah's Witnesses, and so they were walking around knocking on doors, and, and I was waiting, right? I mean, I, I mean that, this is like a great day for me, right? The Jehovah's Witnesses are coming to my house, and I can, I, can, I can talk with them and defend my faith and all those kind of things, and so, so finally, after they walked around for a while and people were closing the doors on them, they came to our house and knocked on the door, and I answered a big smile on my face, how you doing, right? I mean, I've been waiting for you. It's so good to see you. And, and, and the, the first question they asked, which I thought was a very odd question to ask, and to this day I thought was a very odd question to ask, the first question they asked was this, do you think that pastors should be paid for their work? That's a terrible question to start a conversation with when you're trying to convert someone to your faith, right? I mean, at least I thought it was, and, and, and they had no idea that I was a pastor, and so I was very quick to tell them, absolutely, absolutely. 
I want to get paid, right? Because I'm a pastor. And, and so they use the scripture out of context, and I tried to defend that scripture. And the next thing I knew, over the course of five or six minutes, that conversation escalated to an argument. They raised their voices. I raised mine a little bit louder because actually, I mean, I'm a Baptist preacher. That's what we do, right? And the louder you are, the more right you are. And so, so after six or seven minutes, they turned around, shut their Bibles closed, and just walked away. And here we are 10, 11 years later, and I still regret that conversation. Because I was right. Right? I mean, I stood on Scripture. I mean, I really was right. I stood on the truth of Scripture, what I believed about Scripture. I stood on the Word of God and defended my position. But in that moment, in that conversation that got heated, even though I was right and even though I knew I was right, and even though I was out to prove myself right, I certainly was not open to reason. Being open to reason doesn't necessarily mean you concede, right? Being open to reason means you're willing to hear, to hear where somebody else is coming from, to understand their point of view so that you can guide them to the truth. If you think about it over the course of your life, and I think about it over the course of my life, man, I have lacked many times the ability to be open to reason. And if you think about it, Jesus, he is the epitome of everything that is right. He is the one who is truth. But aren't you thankful that Jesus, in a sense, he's open to reason? What I mean by that is that he listens to you. He knows where you're at. He listens to your complaining. He listens to your bickering. He listens to your problems. He listens to all of that. And in his gentleness and his humility, he guides you to the truth. He doesn't condemn. He doesn't cast judgment. Even when you are dead wrong, he listens and he convicts you. And by the power of the Spirit, he leads you to truth. What about you, right? Because this is wisdom. Wisdom is the ability to be peaceable. It's the ability to be gentle. It's the ability to be open to reason. It's the ability to be full of mercy and good fruits. On the one hand, right, listen to this. On the one hand, you don't always have to prove yourself to be right. And on the other hand, you don't have to get mad about everything. And some of us do. We're offended by every little thing that comes our way. Every little thing somebody does, it just gets on our nerves. And, 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 and Proverbs 19.11, it says this. This is a beautiful passage of Scripture. It is a glory of man to be able to overlook an offense. People are always going to offend you. People are always going to say things that irk you. Wives, it's just inevitable. Your husband's never going to learn how to put his dirty clothes in the laundry basket, right? But in the big scheme of things, that thing that drives you crazy, that thing that, that makes you so upset, that little thing that just drives you absolutely bonkers, in the big scheme of things, it probably doesn't matter. Now, there are some times that people offend us that we need to address it, right? If it's actually sinful, we need to address that. But you and I, we get mad over just preferences, over things not going our way, somebody saying something the wrong way, not looking at us the right way. We get offended all over all those things. And when we get offended, we get downright not merciful, but cruel, right? We'll say something terse. We'll give an evil eye or whatever the case may be, right? We have have the tendency to get mad about everything. Aren't you thankful that Jesus did not get mad at you about everything? 
instead of judging you, he showed you mercy. You know what mercy is, right? Mercy is withholding judgment from somebody. It's withholding punishment. And for some of us in this room, we've gotten so mad so often about the little things of life that we're judging everybody for not living up to our standard. What James says is that real wisdom is merciful. It's withholding judgment because Jesus withheld judgment from you. And instead of, of judging, it's, it's full of good fruits. Instead of getting mad, instead of getting offended, it seeks to bless. Even when somebody isn't blessing you in return, you see, this is wisdom, right? It's full of mercy. And aren't you thankful that Jesus showed mercy to you? And finally, it's impartial and it's sincere, that word that James uses in, 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 in this particular passage, impartial, it's the only time it's used in the New Testament. And, and it carries with it the connotation of, of singular devotion. And aren't you thankful that God is devoted to you so much so that he gave his son for you? And so when you live in wisdom, right, you're devoted. Not to your way, not to what you want out of life, but what God wants from you, you see? This is a clear contrast. And what James says is that when you live in wisdom, this godly wisdom that is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial, and sincere, it's going to manifest itself in all kinds of peace. A harvest of righteousness and peacefulness, right? And it's true. You know this from experience that when you live God's way, it doesn't make all the problems of the world go away. It doesn't make everything better necessarily. But when you live God's way, it certainly does make your life better. And you see the change in the way you treat other people. And you see the peace that comes from that. And so the question is for you, what is it? As you think about your life and how you've been living here lately, have you been embracing the wisdom of this world that says, I'm the point of everything? Or have you been embracing the wisdom of God that says, he is the point. And because he is the point, I'm setting my eyes on him. And it's going to free me to live peaceably, gently, right? Open to reason and all these things that James talks about. The question now is how? How do you get this kind of wisdom? How do you get this godly wisdom? Let me give you three ways real quick. We'll be done. It's so simple. One is reverence. Proverbs 9.10 says what? For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord, knowing who God is, that he is the one who created you and made you in his image. The fear of the Lord, knowing that he is the point, and also knowing, right, the fear of the Lord, knowing who you are. Even though God is at the center of the universe and has clearly made himself known, you have chosen in your life to rebel against him. You've been a rebel. And because you're a rebel, you deserve punishment for your sin. But God, in his mercy and his grace has chosen to give you grace. And he sent his son Jesus, who lived the life that you could not live, and then went to a cross and died in your place and took the punishment that you deserved and rose again three days later so you could be forgiven of every sin that you've committed and so you could be given a life abundant and eternal. This is the gospel message. And, 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 and in 1 Corinthians, Paul says that Jesus Christ is one who lived and died for you, this one who is gentle, peaceable, open to reason, full of mercy and grace. He is the wisdom of God. And so the question is, do you have 
reverence for this one? Do you live with this knowledge that he is at the center of it all and he's invited you into a relationship with him through faith in his son Jesus Christ, through turning from your sins and giving your life to him? You see, you gain this wisdom by having reverence, having the right perspective of God and the right perspective of yourself. You gain this wisdom by repentance. That word repentance, it simply means to turn, to turn from one way of living and choosing to live another way, right? And in this room this morning, there are some of us that need to turn, repent from living out a worldly wisdom because you've seen it in your life. You've been making yourself the point. You've seen the bitter jealousy. You've seen the selfish ambition. And today is they turn from that, to repent, to confess that to the Lord and ask him to help you to live a life of wisdom, right? So you, re- you reverence God. You repent from that worldly wisdom and you receive. We already saw this in James chapter 1. In James 1 verse 5, James says what? If you lack wisdom, do what? Ask God. He wants to make you wise. He wants you to have access to his wisdom. Ask God. Put yourself in a position to receive that wisdom. Be in the Word. Be in a church that helps you to learn how to walk in wisdom. You see, the wisdom of God in Christ Jesus our Lord is available to you. The question for you is, will you choose to walk in wisdom? Will you choose to make God the point of it all? Or will you and I continue to live as if we're the point of everything? So this morning, as we end our time together, you've got a decision to make. What's it going to be? Be honest. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Are you walking in wisdom? If not, confess it. Ask God to give you wisdom this morning. Turn from those selfish ways. Turn from that bitter jealousy. Turn from living a life in which you've said is all about me. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus. This morning, receive salvation. Believe that he died and rose again for you. And in him is forgiveness of sins and life eternal. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the one who is wisdom, I'll be down front. We'd love to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus. Whatever it's a decision you need to make this morning, you come as we have a time of invitation together. Let's pray. Father.